Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to be with all of you. Uh, if I have never met you, my name is Ken. I've been on sabbatical the last three months, so if you started new in our church in that time and I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to do so. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, this fall, we are moving towards Mark, meaning that we're going to start a series on the Gospel of Mark in just two weeks, uh, but right now we find ourselves a smack dab in the middle of a three-week sermon series titled A Taste of Salem. Uh, last week, Seth talked about gathering weekly and the importance of church, and next week we're going to talk about investing purposefully. But this week we're talking about connecting regularly and the importance of spiritual uh, friendships. I don't know about you, but the friendships, the spiritual friends in my life have made an incredible impact, and I, I recognize that it can be hard to develop those sorts of friendships, but today we're going to talk about that. Before I share about my sabbatical, I just want to share this verse with you. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Solomon wrote this. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If, if either one of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The reality is we need people in our lives that share our faith in Jesus and that will prop us up when we get popped. And we need people who we can prop up. And so we're going to talk about that today. But Seth told you last week that I was going to share a little bit about my sabbatical. So for those of you that may be unaware of what a sabbatical is, uh, some churches will give uh, pastors an extended period of time off every seven years or so. And there's multiple reasons, but a lot of it is, uh, this is a job that as a pastor, like it's my life. I don't really have an off button. You know, it is something I do take home with me. I mean, I think about each and every one of you and the trials you face, and we never know when crises are going to come. And therefore, you're like, it's just one of those things where day in and day out, there's, there's a weight to it. A good weight, but a weight to it. And so the idea with the sabbatical is to give us a break uh, for an extended period of time where we could just remove ourselves from the regular rhythms of ministry and just kind of rest and restore. And so I am grateful that I had that opportunity um, to do that. You know, I'm grateful for our elders for having given me the opportunity. I'm grateful for our staff who, who did their best to just kind of pick up all the pieces in my absence and, and allow me to have the break. I'm especially grateful to my colleague, Nikki, who helps me uh, run adult ministries and connections ministries, and she just kept both of those things going uh, be beautifully while I was gone. Uh, a number of people have asked me what I did during my sabbatical. A reality is most of the first six weeks I spent away from my wife, and so I've jokingly said I left my wife on my sabbatical, <laughs> which I don't think was the elder's goal, but um, no, we ended up having some great time together, but the front end of it, I did a lot of traveling. I wanted to share a few of the goals that I had for my sabbatical before I go into kind of what it looked like. Uh, one was professional development which included completing a number of books, a spiritual leadership, a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend, a hero maker, as well as evangelical convictions, 
And then I also completed a Christian uh, coaching course. So those were some professional development things. But another big goal was to decompress from the tension of the regular rhythms of ministry. And then the final goal I had was to spend unhurried time with old friends and family. And that really ties to what we're going to be talking about today uh, with connecting regularly. So the sabbatical started back in May. The first... The first week, I went away to a lake house. You can see a picture up there, and I just was on my own. I did some praying, Bible reading, went on walks and bike rides. But one of the things I was told that's really helpful to do is to look at back at your journals. And I've been journaling since 2006, and it was really cool to like look back and see what my prayers were like back then, what the struggles that I had were like then, how I thought about things, and then how God showed up and how He's changed me and, and moved me forward. So that was just a neat time of decompression. Then I came home for Mother's Day, which as a husband with kids, I would recommend that every guy do that as best they can. Uh, I came home for Mother's Day, and then in mid-May, I set out on a three-week road trip by myself uh, to connect with many people that I've developed spiritual friendships with over the years, to spend unhurried time with family and friends. The road trip took me to Utah, to California, and to Colorado, places of which I lived for an extended period of time in each of those places. And the whole time I was gone, I got to thinking about it, I only spent one night in a hotel room. Every other night, I spent with family or friends. So that means there was just a lot of great conversations, a lot of time to be together with people. Well, the, the trip started off, actually, I left for Utah with my daughter, Tori. We caravanned out there because she was uh, serving at a church uh, in the Salt Lake City area in a youth ministry internship for the summer, and so we decided we'd go out together at the same time. Um, we got out there, you know, some of the unique things about Utah, we lived there for 15 years, that's where my two boys were born. Kenny and Reese. That's where I transitioned from a corporate life to full-time ministry back in 2005. So while we were out there, we got a chance to see lots of great friends in the area. I've got, I served at two different churches, so there's lots of people I love out there. But Tori and I went to the old church where I served, and we got to connect with a bunch of friends. Here's a picture of, I used to hang out with these people like 10 years ago. Uh, they were friends from the Saturday night service that I helped to oversee, and it was just so neat to see them. None of those kids existed back in those days, by the way. They were all additions to this picture. So that was a lot of fun. And then something else I got to do was to go to Tori's commissioning as she started uh, at this new church in Stansbury Park. That's my daughter Tori up there on the right. And so that was really special. So after four days in Utah, I headed to Redondo Beach, California for 10 days. That's where I actually grew up. And I spent the better part of 22 years living in Redondo. I spent a lot of time with my dad. My dad still lives in the same house I grew up in. He actually turns 90 this year, and so there was a fair amount of it. And he's got a Redondo Beach shirt on. How convenient. Um, and so it was just really good to be with him. Both of my brothers live in that area and uh, spent a number of days there. And then my last two days in California, I went to a Christian retreat camp called 1000 Pines up in the, mountain, the mountains there and just spent a couple nights at a cabin. Then I headed to Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And Steamboat Springs, Colorado is near and dear to my heart for a number of reasons. 
Uh, that is actually where I met Jesus in my late 20s. That is where I met my wife, Vicki. That's where I got married, and that is where my first child, Tori, was born. And so, uh, lots of great reasons there. I spent or reasons to visit. I spent three nights there and then headed back home for just a week and then got on a plane to go to Israel for 10 days. And my wife was not part of that trip either. Uh, but in Israel, I got to spend just some really incredible time with 20 people from Salem. Uh, got to get to know them better. As many of you have heard, I'm going to just plug it one more time. We have a lunch today after church back in the fellowship hall where you're going to get to hear about this Israel trip. So if you're interested, we invite you. But what Israel did for me is the trip really moved the Bible from 2D to 3D. I find myself reading the Bible so much more differently now. It helped me understand the geography of the land and to better picture what it would have been like to follow our rabbi Jesus 2,000 years ago. It was also great for developing new friendships and deepening existing ones. As well as we got to see cave, table, and road uh, from a little different perspective, we actually, many of us went into a cave that Jesus may have gone to, into himself to pray when he went for his cave time with the Father. We got to have lots of meals together, lots of food, and then walk roads that Jesus had actually walked. So it was really awesome. During the last half of my sabbatical, uh, Vicky and I actually spent lots of times at, at my son Reese's baseball games. He plays American Legion baseball, and they'd have games five to seven a week. But after baseball ended, uh, Vicky and I really got to spend some neat quality time together as the sabbatical wrapped up. Well, as I mentioned, today we're talking about connecting regularly and the importance of spiritual friendships. And looking back on this sabbatical, I feel like God synced up so many meaningful conversations at just the right time. There were dozens and dozens of conversations, but I want to share with you about some of those because they speak to the importance of, and value of spiritual friendships in our life. So first off, I said I started in Utah. I got to Utah. One of my best friends, a guy by the name of Chris McCombs and his wife Katie live in Park City. I spent three nights with them. Chris was instrumental in my life when I first came to faith in Jesus. He was what I would call my very first spiritual friend. I was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, exploring faith, and here was a guy that I was like, you know what, I, I can hang out with this guy, just a really good guy. And he was in my wedding, I was in his wedding, and here we are reconnecting years later. And at the time, he and his wife had some decisions to make about moving and a career and stuff. And so I got to be involved in those conversations and others with him. Uh, something else that uh, happened in Utah is Tori and I had dinner with our, our old lead pastor, a guy by the name of Troy in the Salt Lake City area. And we had a really great time of just catching up and finding out about one another's families. And it was really encouraging. But the thing that struck me most was as I moved, uh, left that conversation, Troy, or Troy, Tori says to me, Dad, I feel so blessed to feel so loved by two of our senior pastors. And she was talking about Troy, who we'd been at that church for eight years, and she was talking about Seth, and we've been here for six or seven years. And to have your daughter feel that way was such a gift to know that she felt so loved by people or by our, our senior pastors. Then, on my way out of town, headed out of Utah, I spent a night with my friends John and Nico. 
I met John and Nico back in 2006. They were part of the very first church I pastored at. And we just became, our families just clicked. We became friends. We did camping trips and stuff together. And John is a guy that uh, reminds me of the verse from, uh, from John 10.10 10 that says, I have come to give life and give it to the full. John was a guy that just lived life large. He'd been a professional snowboarder. He'd been a business owner. Every, he was English and had a great English accent. So it felt like anytime where there was a gathering, like he was the center of the party or whatever, just a fun guy to be around. Well, it turns out that it would be the very last time I would see my friend John alive. Uh, he died while scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef down in Australia in July, or on July 17th. And last week, I flew out to Salt Lake uh, to do his funeral. Uh, but I was, I was so grateful that God allowed us to connect in May and that I had that relationship with him and his wife and his two kids who are uh, like 18 and 20 and so I got to go back and just spend some time, and we talked about God and talked about, you know, just God's hand in all of this and encouraged them in their faith. Well, then I headed to California. I spent quite a bit of time there, but one afternoon while I was home with my dad, I got to share a bunch of scripture passages with him about how we can have an assurance of our eternity with our Heavenly Father if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus and I shared a number of verses. You know, one of them was John 3.36 that says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. And so we just talked through that and, you know, hoping and praying that he would understand that if he has a relationship with Jesus, like his, his eternity is secure. He doesn't have to worry about where he'll be and where he'll go. Well, then uh, also while I was in California, I played 18 holes of golf with my best friend from high school. This is Matt. Candidly, we were drinking buddies back in high school um, in my before Jesus years. And he got, we both went to the same college. He got an engineering degree. We both went our different paths, living in different states. Turns out Jesus got a hold of both of our hearts. And we both came to faith in Christ. And so it was just neat to kind of hear about his faith story and his fa uh, family as well. Well, then from California, I headed back to Colorado, and I reconnected with a number of friends there, but one highlight was going to lunch with uh, Rob Rigg. I don't have a, oh, I do have a picture. There's Rob. Rob was the senior pastor at the church that I came to faith in Jesus in. Uh, he did, uh, he did Vicki and I's wedding, but I got to share with him the story of like his involvement in my faith journey. You see, the very first time I ever darkened the doors of a Protestant or evangelical church, I was about 26 years old, and Rob's preaching. And there was only one Bible verse uh, that I had a whole lot of familiarity with. It was Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 that says, We rejoice in our sufferings, for our sufferings create perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. And I walked through the doors, and what does Rob preach on that day? That very verse. And it felt as if God were talking to me. And that was the front end of me just moving towards Jesus. And it was just a time, I don't know that he knew that story, so it was super encouraging for him and a lot of fun. Then back in Minnesota, I came home, and during the last month of my sabbatical, 
Uh, Vicky and I had gone on a baseball trip down to Mankato to watch our son Reese play in a Legion tournament. And we spent a couple of nights with Tiffany and her husband and her family. Tiffany went on the Israel trip, and if you don't know her, she is Veronica Weiland's uh, sister. But we got to stay with her uh, for, I think it was two or three nights, and we just had these amazing conversations, uh, talking about God, talking about faith, talking about family. Vicki and she just kind of clicked and hit it off, and it felt like there was just some of these ordained conversations where God allowed Vicki to spur her on and Tiffany to spur us on, and so it was just a real blessing. And then finally, just one last encounter. Vicki and I spent a night at Otter Tail Lake uh, with Vicki's cousin Kathy, Kathy's a little bit older than me. Uh, she lost her sister, Pam, to cancer earlier this year. Uh, her sister had been battling cancer for about 28 years. But Kathy owns a, a cabin on Otter Tail Lake, and her sister, Pam, owned the cabin about three doors down. And Kathy was out at this lake just on her own for the week. Her sister, Pam, wasn't there any longer. Another thing that happened is Kathy had lost her dog, Libby, who had been, she'd had for 15 years and would always be there at the lake. And so just kind of a lonely, soul-searching time. And she invited Vicki and I out for an afternoon and an evening, and we had meals together and sat by the fire together. And we talked about family together, and we you know, talked about our grieving hearts and the hope that we have. And it just felt like God was right in the midst of that. Well, there were numerous other meaningful conversations, but I run the risk of boring you and using up all of my allotted time with these stories, and so I'm going to shift us a little bit here. As I look back, though, at all these conversations, I realize that God has shown up in such amazing ways in terms of timing and topics. And one of the points that I get from this is that we look for God in many ways through coming to church, through singing worship songs, through studying uh, the Bible, God's Word, through serving. But for me, one of the main ways that God shows up most is through my interactions with others. And I was so glad that I had this time to spend with so many of these people. There were so many meaningful and encouraging conversations. Well, today we're talking about connecting regularly and the importance of spiritual conversations. And I want to take you to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. So if you want to follow along or follow in a pew Bible, I will be sharing this out of the New International Version. Seth normally teaches out of the English Standard Version, so just a slightly different nuance to it. But let me tell you about this letter to the Philippians. Philippians was a letter to the church at Philippi. This was a church that Paul had actually planted on his second missionary trip. It was the very first church that was planted in uh, Europe, and he planted it in about A.D. 50. Well, he spent some time with them then. For sure, he was back another time, according to Acts, and there's reason to believe he might have been back to this church a total of four times visited them. So he spent a lot of time with these Philippians. He knew them. And when he wrote this letter, he was, you know, when he wrote letters to the Galatians and to the Colossians, it was because there was a crisis. But this letter that he wrote to the Philippians was really just to share his affection for them and his appreciation of them. It was an encouraging letter. Sometimes it's referred to as the letter of joy. As a matter of fact, as we look at these uh, seven or so verses, notice 
the thankful tone. Notice the joy that he expresses. Notice the confidence that he has in these people. And notice the affection that he shares. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he starts off by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. You see, these were good people. These were people that Paul adored. Do you have people in your life that you're thankful for? You know that every time, yes, I hope so, but maybe not everybody, right? That every time they come to mind, gratefulness wells up in your heart. Perhaps you have a long history together and you've shared lots of great memories. Or maybe, maybe they helped you through a hard time. Or maybe they're just someone who's a source of wisdom and encouragement or laughter and you just love being with them. Every time you think of them, you thank God for them. That's how Paul felt about these people. Then he says in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of, my part, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, some people refer to this as the letter of joy. He, he mentions joy a number of times, but the reason he had joy was because of these people's partnership in the gospel. I frequently send emails with the salutation, thank you for your partnership in ministry, or thank you for your partnership in the gospel. A partnership here is a, it comes from the Greek word koinonia that Seth talked a little bit about last week. And how he defined it, or the definition he shared, was that it's a mutual interdependence. That this people live mutually interdependently, pursuing the gospel together and pursuing Jesus together. You see, when we talk about koinonia, it isn't just having friends or going to a ball game or playing Scrabble together, although those all could be part of koinonia for sure. Koinonia is sharing the same true north. It's being authentic with one another. It's needing one another in healthy ways, encouraging each other. Uh, back in 2001, uh, our family moved to Salt Lake City, and at the time we had one child, my daughter Tori, just a little baby, and another on the way. And my wife uh, joined a group that was called Koinonia. It was a Tuesday morning women's Bible study. And these ladies would uh, study God's Word together. They would share prayer requests. They would encourage one another. And I can tell you, there were a number of times when I would head off to work on a Tuesday morning where perhaps Vicki was feeling exhausted or discouraged, or frustrated about something, and I felt like I wish I could do something to help. And then I would come home on a Tuesday night, and it was almost as if all the worries of the world had been lifted off her. It was because she'd gone to this koinonia, and she'd had other people that were encouraging her, that were praying for her, and it was the activity of God in her life through these people. And we all need those sorts of things in our lives. We have that happening right here at Salem with our Tuesday morning women's Bible study as well as life groups and lots of other places where you can get connected. Well, let's take a look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ and Jesus. I don't know about you, but how many of you feel like the process of spiritual maturity is painfully slow? How many of you have ever been like, you know, God, why don't I get this yet? Why aren't I growing in this area? Wouldn't you rather use a microwave than a crockpot, God? I mean, I need some help with this thing. I'd like to be there right now. But reality is that uh, our growth takes a while. Sometimes we have to learn things the hard way. 
But Paul confidently told the Philippians that God would finish what he started, that he would finish the work he started in their lives. Now, we certainly have a critical role to play in our own spiritual growth, right? We talk about cave, table, and road, the rhythms of, the rhythms of Jesus, cave time with the Father in prayer or study or worship, table time where we're learning from, being encouraged by, and shown the love of God through others, and road time where we're sharing Jesus in our different ways, wherever we live, study, work, or play. But as you look at this passage, notice who is doing the work in this verse. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit living in each and every believer, continually shaping us into Christ-likeness. And he does that through his power, but he also uses our circumstances, our experiences, our studying of God's word. He uses our church gatherings and our spiritual friendships that shape us. Our God is always at work in our lives to shape us to be more and more like Jesus. And so much of our spiritual growth happens through our table time, connecting with others, developing spiritual friends. Our spiritual friends pick us up when we're down. They point us to Jesus when we just want to fight or run away. They sharpen us, like it says in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. I want you to believe that God is always at work and that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Then in verse 7, Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. What a lovely statement. Have you ever told anyone or recently told anyone they were either in or on your heart? You know, we're called to encourage one another daily. Then Paul goes on, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, these friends in Philippi have a special place in Paul's heart. They share in God's grace with him, and he longs for them. And this is the way that I felt about many of those friends that I went to see on my sabbatical. They had a special place in my heart, and I longed to see them again. Have you longed to see a friend with whom you share fond memories? Do you have people in your life in which you feel this way about? Well, then verse 9, Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. Isn't that a great prayer? That's a powerful prayer. And that's my prayer for each of us, that, we, that our love for God may grow and that we might be filled with the love of God that in such a way that when we get bumped into, it's God's love that sloshes out of us. May we grow in knowledge in the depth and insight. And as our knowledge and insight of God grows in terms of God, our definition of love expands. The thing about this church in Philippi is that they were a group of believers pursuing Jesus together and living out their faith. They were on this journey together. 
I was thinking about my life group, which is a great example of this. We pray together, we laugh together, we cry together, we encourage one another. When I'm with my life group, my, my love for them grows as I hear their stories. My knowledge grows as I learn from their perspectives. My depth of insight grows as I empathize with their experiences. And we all need spiritual friendships in our lives. I want to encourage you to find and foster spiritual friendship. Some of you may have this already in your life. And if you do, praise God that you do and let that friend know how grateful you are for them. Uh, but for others, uh, maybe you've never thought to look for it or maybe you've tried and you just feel as if you've struggled or failed. I want to talk or start by talking about what does spirit, a spiritual friendship look like? What does a spiritual friend look like? Uh, the first thing I would say is they share your faith in Jesus. They have the same true north. They look to God for the answers. That's absolutely critical. The rest of these things are probably important as well. It's a list I came up with on my own, but next is someone who's safe. Someone you feel like I can be real with. They're not going to judge me. They're not going to make me feel bad. They're going to love me and come alongside me. Someone that you feel like will keep confidences in you, with you, not betray those confidences. Uh, someone that's going to encourage you, that you can be authentic with. Next, someone who listens well. You know, one of the greatest gifts we can give someone else is to listen well. When we listen well, uh, we're affirming other people. We're able to empathize with what they're going through. And so you want to find somebody like that. and That's, that's the type of spiritual friend you, you want to find, but you also want to be that to somebody else, right? We can bring that to others. Listening well is such a key component. And then next, someone who tells you the truth in love. Someone who will be honest with you when you're going astray. Or maybe you're thinking something wrongly. You've got a bad narrative about something in your head and they will point you towards Jesus or bring out the truth, but they'll do it in a loving and caring way. Another important aspect is someone who mourns and rejoices with you. Maybe you've just gotten a bad diagnosis. Maybe you've lost someone you love or you've lost your job. It's important to have people who will just mourn with us, who will be with us as we go through those things. And you as the person coming alongside them does, do not have to have all the answers. Simply just by being present, you're being Jesus to them. But equally important is having people that we can rejoice with, right? That we can celebrate the good things that go on in our lives. You got a new house, you got a new car, your kid got into the, to the school of their dreams, you got the promotion. Sometimes that's harder to do than mourn with people is to rejoice with people. But we need people in our life that are able to do both. And then the last one, someone you like. You know, you want it to be somebody you enjoy being around, who gives you life and you feel like you can give them life. That's it's an important piece as well. Now, if you already have this in your life, thank God for it. Let your friend know. But reality is some of us have struggled in this area, and there are barriers to spiritual friendships. There's barriers. I want to talk about some of them. Uh, the first one I would say is just busyness. Anybody want to raise their hand if they feel too busy? You too busy to raise your hand? Oh. 
I mean, so many people, right? This life is just crammed with things to do. If you have kids, you're chasing them everywhere. Uh, we have these things called cell phones now that constantly get our attention. Even Netflix makes us busy. I mean, there are just so many things that consume our mind and our time that make us feel like we're just jumping from one thing to the next. I mentioned one of the books that I had read on my sabbatical was The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, there was a pastor a number of years ago by the name of John Ortberg, who was a pastor out in, Southern, not in Northern California near San Francisco, and he had a mentor by the name of Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard, a deep theological thinker, one of the leaders in spiritual formation, he passed away about a decade ago. But he, Willard was Ortberg's mentor, and one time... Ortberg, he's leading his church, and he's frustrated with the way that he's growing in his faith. And he says to Dallas, he says, Dallas, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? What do I need to do to become more Christ-like? And Dallas pauses, and he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John says, well, that's good. What else? And he says, there's nothing else. He says, Hurry is the enemy of our discipleship, and it's the enemy of our friendships. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Another barrier is shyness. Shyness. And I'll tell you what, I get this. As, as a child, I was so shy. I, I struggled to make friends. I, I felt very insecure about a lot of things. And I just, I just want you to know, if you're shy, don't be embarrassed by that. I get that this is going to be a struggle. It's a little harder to put yourself out there. You're just wired that way. I just want to let you know, if, if you are interested and you want to do this, though, um, whether it's just being bold and making steps on your own, I just invite you to connect with me. I would love to get coffee with you or a meal with you and find out, you know, what are your likes and, and even kind of brainstorm who, who might be some people that you would connect well with and help you to make those connections. Another barrier, I think, believe it or not, is being overly extroverted. You know, a lot of the extroverts in our lives uh, have a ton of friends, but they struggle to go deep. You know, I can, I, I'm a guy that has a lot of friends just because of my personality and being in the position I am, but I also know that I have to be super intentional about developing deeper relationships. I need to seek that out in my life and, and pursue that. And I think being overly extroverted can be a barrier to that. Another barrier is negative experiences, negative experiences. Perhaps you had a really good friend that betrayed you. Perhaps you told them your deepest, darkest secret and it no longer stayed a secret. Maybe you were stabbed in the back by someone that you thought you could trust. First off, I would say I'm so sorry for that. I mean, that's just wrong. That's not how we want to treat one another. That's not what this body of believers is about, and I hope that that experience wasn't here, but if you've had a negative experience, that's a hard thing to overcome. But I would tell you that I think the risk is worth it. I think it's important enough to put yourself out there to risk friendship again and find somebody safe this time. Find somebody that you can have these types of relationships with. And then the final barrier that I thought of was just shame. Shame. Maybe there is something in your past that you carry that you feel like, if anybody knew about this, that this was going on in my life, 
There's no way they'd want to be my friend. There's no way they they would connect with me. I want to let you know that every single person in this room and every single person online is broken. We are all broken people. Every single one of us carries some level of shame. We've all done something that we don't want others to know about. And as long as that prevents you from spiritual friendship, Satan is winning. You know, one of the biggest lies in the world is you're the only one who's ever dealt with this. You're the only one who carries this shame. And reality is lots of people carry the same shame you do. And as soon as others know about it, it takes away the power of that. And so I really encourage you, even if that's a concern, like we have lots of people in this church that I trust and I love that I believe would be great friends to come alongside you. And so I hope you're able to find someone like that. Now let's talk about pathways to spiritual friendship, pathways to spiritual friendship. First off, I would say admit you have a need. I believe that God hardwired us all for community. I believe we each have a desire to be loved and to love others. I believe we each have a desire to be known by others and to know others and to care for others. And you've got to start with just admitting that there's this hunger that exists and that I need this in my life. The second one I would say is pray. Pray. Pray that God would lead you to the right person. Pray for God to help you see somebody, maybe as you haven't seen them before, as a potential friend, as a potential spiritual friend. Pray for courage if you deal with one of those barriers and say, God, this thing has kept me from friendships for years and years and years, and give me the courage, Lord. Help me know that you're right here with me and you're going to get me through this and lead me to somebody that would be a good friend. And then the next is to be intentional, be intentional. Uh, One of my goals for 2023, it's written on my goals, I can show them to you in my office, was to intentionally build deeper friendships and spend more time with two or three couples within our church uh, because I feel like that would be beneficial for my wife, Vicki, and I. I feel like we have lots of, I don't want to say surface-level friends, but I'd like to have two or three friendships that we just go deeper with. And so that has been a goal of mine, and we've intentionally invested some time with couples that we think might, you know, that we might just get along with well. And relationships take time. Time with is one of the biggest factors. And if you're not intentional about it, if you don't make time for it, you're not going to build these friendships. So you've got to be intentional about it. The next one I think is kind of fun is be curious. Be curious. Uh, There is something amazing just about being curious. What do you do for a living? Where are you from? What are your favorite hobbies? What did you love doing as a kid? And just looking for some connections, looking for uh, different ways that maybe you feel like there's just some affinities here, some way that I might really enjoy this person. You'd be amazed at how by just asking good questions, you can build relationships. Now I want to talk to you just briefly about ways that you can uh, do this through our church. So again, pathways to spiritual friendship through our church. Next week, we start our ministry market. We used to call it our ministry fair. It's going to be three weeks where the foyer is going to have lots of leaders and people out there that you can get to know and start to build friendships with and or just like learn about those ministries, figure out how you can get connected. Uh, But one of the great ways to, to build relationships is through our life groups. 
you know, we've got somewhere between 15 and 20 life groups that are part of our church, and, and the reason they exist is, is to build these sorts of relationships, to struggle well together, to study Scripture together, to care for one another. But reality is, even a lot of people who are in life groups don't have these deeper spiritual friendships. You might have been a part of a life group for years, but you don't feel like, boy, I'm super connected with somebody. And so, you've, again, you've got to be intentional. When you think about uh, Jesus, right, he gathered the 12 around him, but then Peter, James, and John were his close spiritual friends, the three of those guys he spent more time with. Additionally, here at our church, uh, we've got adult learning groups. I've just recently changed the name of like adult Sunday school to adult learning groups. And one of the main reasons was school or class gives you the feeling that you're just sitting there listening to somebody teaching. But all of these gatherings are really group learning. You'll have a facilitator uh, leading, but the thing is you can develop friendships. You can get to know people. You can start to build relationships through that, through our, our living free group, through our women's studies. You can develop relationships by playing pickleball, by playing softball. I mean, there's just a number of ways that you can start to build these friendships. Join a serving team. Lots of times our serve, people who serve on the tech team, people who serve in kids' ministry, they end up getting to know others and building friendships. Then the final thing I would say in far, as far as this goes is a pathway to spiritual friendship is on your own. Reality is we can't do this for you. Nobody can do this for you. You're the only one who can build these relationships. And while I was sitting in the pews, is it Home Depot that says you can do it, we can help? And that's kind of our motto, I guess. You can build these friendships and we can help and would love to come alongside you. Well, just like Paul loved this church, I hope you find people where you'll say, as Philippians 1, 3 and 5 says, I thank God, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. Will you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, I, just deep down in my soul, I know that this is, is so important. I think about even the Trinity that you yourself have listed or lived, existed in community forever, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know that this is something uh, that we need. For some people, they have great spiritual friendships, and we praise you for that because it just leads to healthier lives, to healthier uh, following of you. Uh, for those that have struggled in this area, God, I pray that you'd open doors for them. I pray that you'd give them courage or help them to forgive if that's an issue and help them to find people uh, within this church or, or just anybody who loves Jesus as well uh, that they feel like they can be authentic and real with, that they feel like they can be loved by and loved, that they can be an encouragement to. Lord, I, I pray that you, through your spirit, would just connect dots in people's lives. Help them to find the type of community that will help them thrive in their journey with you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your example. We thank you for the hope that we have that exists through your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we receive through your word and the things that you teach, and the hope that this letter gives us as Paul just praises these people and loves these people and has such affection for these people, uh, many of the same feelings that I have for this church body. 
Oh, we love you, Lord, for your goodness and your ways. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.